She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 22. Elegy. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, May 4th, 1997. In a world before the sixth sense, no one knows the line, I see dead people. Also, call back to your favorite episode, Tori, or at least one of your favorite episodes, Tori, The In Search of Ghosts that we recently Mm -hmm. put out on replay, because I watched that clip from The Sixth Sense, and in that scene, he also says, they don't know they're dead. And I almost died, because in that episode, we kind of riff on the whole, like, they don't know they're dead, that's a problem with Mm -hmm. ghosts. And, like, I've never seen The Sixth Sense. I didn't know that existed. So I just thought it was funny, because... We said that a lot in that episode, and then he says it too. And so I thought it was funny. Yeah. I saw that movie back in theaters, back when it came out. And I remember like the ending being such a big twist. Like it was such a big mm-hmm. twist ending. I won't spoil it in case for some reason oh you've not my seen God. it in like 20 years or something that it's been out. But it is actually really, really good. And then like M. Night Shyamalan had like a whole series of movies where the twist was so predictable and stupid. And you're just like, come on, dude. And then he did the alien one. The alien one, I think, was right after. And I got really mad about that because like it implies that asthma allows you to like survive not breathing. I don't know. It was dumb. The whole is that thing the was village? Is that the, uh, is that the alien no, one? The no, the alien one is. um. Oh, what is it called? I think I the village, it even one of brain. his movies. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, wow, I can't believe it. I think I just deleted it from my brain completely. I do not remember. The only movies that hit I've ever seen are Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. Those are the only ones I've seen. Mm. Split, it was amazing. I, I didn't watch Split because I'm not into that kind of movie, but Split, that was a phenomenal movie. It was really good. Unbreakable is great. Don't watch Glass. Don't watch Glass. Okay, I won't. Just don't watch Glass. So. Signs is the movie. Okay, I can Signs. Which yes, was it, it. it had good parts. I just I get cranky about little things and like as someone with asthma who That's right, because the poster is like, like crop circles, right? Right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. there were I just it got really cranky about the way that asthma was portrayed in that movie and inhalers because it's not how they work as someone who has had one their entire life. I'm just like, no, if only. Yeah. No, Bruce Willis is super young looking in the Sixth Sense clip I watched too, mm-hmm. which is crazy because that movie came out in 1999. It's kind of weird because I've seen him in movies like one of my favorite movies, The Last Boy Scout, was like 1993. Mm-hmm. And like that's six years later. And yet he looks younger in that one than he does in the one from 93. It's kind of crazy. But, yeah. He's got that rich people money. He can get the injected fetal cells or whatever to stay there oh. rich people. The yeah, so they don't and age. baby stem cells. Mm. Whatever they're doing. I mean, sadly, apparently not, because he's had to retire because of stuff. Oh, so. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I was making fun of rich people, not maybe they Maybe they wear off. Maybe. Or yeah. maybe they have side effects. Mm. Anyway. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and was written by our favorite X-Files writer, John Shebon, and directed by James Charleston. I forgot he wrote this one. You know, Shit. it's funny because I did actually, I mean, I like parts of this episode. There's parts I don't like, but I didn't even realize he was the writer on it. So I'm not going to let that color my opinion. But uh, yeah, I think this might actually be one of his better ones. Not that that's a high bar. I'm just going to say up front, it's not a high bar to jump over. But yeah, sorry, John, if you're out there. <laughs> Poor guy's probably like on the strike line or something. Donuts <laughs> to everyone, And he's like this really great person. And like, I, th- I know he wrote Supernatural too. Like, he's probably amazing. Just he, did, he had some misses with the X-Files, which to be fair, I've written some shitty stuff too. So like, we all have our moments where we're like, you know, that. Well, you know what they bed. say? It's like you can have two of the three, right? Kind of thing. And I know like there was a, there's an artist that I do not like as an artist at all. And I can't understand why he was getting work on the stuff that I was reading. I'm like, why is this guy getting work? His art is not great. But then you talk to people and it's like, he's a super nice guy and he gets his shit done on time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sometimes that's all that matters. Like he's good to work with and he fucking meets his deadlines. And yeah, maybe, you know, it's not like his art is bad. Like there's technical right. skill. I just don't like his style. 
Right. And so it's, yeah, but it's like, but he's a great guy and he gets his shit done on time. So, yeah. you know, it's like, that's Sometimes all that matters, that's right? <laughs> I, we're going to, what we should do is we should watch a couple of his supernatural episodes because I think they're pretty early. I think they're like season one and we should just like see what we think of him writing supernatural. Oh. Although you don't have, you don't have as much context for supernatural as me who has watched at least. I have slogged through the first 12 seasons. At well, this point. well, and we've talked about this before too, where I rate things across the board like it's good or it's not good i don't keep things like in universe good i'm just mm -hmm. like that's good whereas i know you tend to like within kind of thing like you tend to yeah, fit it's things hard in. for me to rate something like just on a flat scale like i need to compare it to the other stuff around it i don't know i just had yeah. an issue to me it's just like do i want to watch it i i watched it and i loved it and so like that scuba natural that was one of the oh, that episode was great. And Supernatural has some really fucking amazing episodes. They really do. Like that show was popular for a long time for a reason. And that's because it did have some really solid stuff going on. It just also had some really awful episodes and some slight homophobia that might be more than slight, especially among like some of the actors and some of the writers and people in charge. So um there's some, you know, and then there are other problems with it too. It's not a perfect show or anything. It just it had a lot of really solid stuff in it. And I'd be curious to see what I think of John Shibon's supernatural episodes, especially because it's after. So he's had more practice, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I feel this episode is better than his other ones. So clearly he's improved. So you know, hey. Yeah. <laughs> We shall see. Maybe maybe that's going to be something that'll happen. I don't know. We keep hitting little things that might happen, and I don't know if they're going. You never to know. We'll see. Yeah. Neither of us wants to commit to plans anymore. We're just like we'll see what we end up doing. <laughs> no, this is unofficially an intermittent podcast. So yeah, we still say an X Files podcast, but look at the show art. It says an intermittent podcast for a reason. Yeah. We are so, doing it as we can. So we'll see what. That's we right. Do. All right, anyway, back to this episode <laughs> and the teaser. We're at Angie's Midnight Bowl, Washington, D.C. Angie, the owner of the bowling alley, is gathering empty bottles and stray cups from around the bowling lane. So, like, it's closed, right? Bowling alley's closed. He's going around cleaning places up. And he finishes, and he goes up to the shoe counter where one of his employees, Harold, is carefully lining the shoes up and placing them on the shelves. And he's like, Harold, go home. And Harold's like, I'm not done yet. And Angie just starts, like, grabbing the shoes and sticking them in the sh places on the shelf and, like, not care about, like, the order or whatever. And Harold gets agitated. He's like, I'm not done yet. And then Angie stops and tells him, like, it's past your bedtime and your doctors are going to be worried. Like, you did a great job today. Like, go home. And so Harold leaves. And as he leaves, he's reciting numbers to himself. 17, 37, you know, reciting numbers. And then Angie continues to shelve the shoes as Harold leaves. And then as he's doing that, there's the sound of pins being knocked down like someone's bowling. And he turns around and he sees one of the bowling lanes start to reset the pins. And then the bowling ball comes down the chute and he goes to look at it and it has blood on it. And he's like, what the hell? So he goes down to the lane and he bends down to see what's behind the pins. And as the pins start to come back down, there's like blood on the lane under the pins. And he looks up and he sees a woman caught up in the wiring above and her mouth is kind of moving like she's trying to talk, but no sound is coming out. And so Angie runs to the counter and he calls 911. But before the call can even connect, you hear whoop, whoop, like the police. And then their lights are across the street. So he runs outside to get them. And the officer's like, hey, you know, we don't need your help. And he's like, no, no, there's a dead body. And then he stops and he looks. And on the ground is a dead woman. And she's got her neck is slit and she's all bloody. And it's the woman that he saw in the wiring above in the bowling alley. And then by special request, X-Files, X-Files, X-Files. So there have been requests. <laughs> so. It's a good song. It's a good song. Yeah. The official X-Files theme song, as you may remember it from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got any of the money from those. I'm sure people <laughs> are still listening to it on Spotify, and I'm not getting any residuals. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to get paid. Mark Snow took all the credit. <laughs> so then we see Scully and she's putting on bowling shoes while Mulder stands with Angie at the lane that had the weird blood on it, which is lane six, by the way, in case you're curious. The bowling alley is open, and so there are other people on other lanes who are bowling and having a good time. Mulder and Scully both lean down and look up to where Angie saw the woman. 
Part of the mechanism is broken, which he says would only happen if considerable weight was put on it from above. Scully's like, is that where you saw her? And Angie says, yes, she was caught up in the machinery. Scully clarifies that both the woman and the blood were gone when Angie returned. And he says, yeah, but the woman in the parking lot and Scully finishes was the same woman you saw caught up in the wiring. She scoots away and they all stand up. Angie insists he's not making this up. Mulder tells him no one is suggesting that, but he's like, well, I saw the look on her face referring to Scully. Like he saw her face. (laughs) She can tell she does not believe him at all. Mulder asks for a soda, and when Angie runs off to get it, he asks, what is that look, Scully? And I put an asterisk here because I'm sure that Nick had a number for this expression because <laughs> he has numbers for Jillian Anderson's faces. I mean, there's not a lot of numbers because there's not a lot of them. And I have to say, I was really good in Small Potatoes because you were praising Jillian Anderson for not changing her expression when she was talking to Christine Cavanaugh's character about Luke Skywalker. And the whole time I'm sitting here biting my tongue because I'm like, yeah, I bet it was so hard for her not to change her expression. So, Listen, I love a good deadpan actress or person who can just hold a face. I I I mean, and sometimes it's just what they do naturally. So, yeah. She does. She does whip out the deck. She has like a good three or four in this episode. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. because she has to look upset a couple of times. So, yeah. Yes. She says after four years, he should know. Mulder's like, so what? You don't believe in ghosts? Mulder thinks it was actually a disembodied soul, which Scully interjects is just another name for ghosts. (laughs) Love that she's arguing semantics about this. And Mulder continues that Angie said she was trying to communicate. He thinks it was a death omen. A spirit that arrives as a harbinger of death. So he picks up a bowling ball and sends it down the lane and hits a strike. And Scully actually looks impressed. She didn't know Mulder could bowl. And, you know, good for him. So Mulder continues that this is the third reported sighting in as many weeks and as many murders. Each time the victim appeared near the crime scene and appeared to be trying to say something. Scully asked what they were trying to communicate. And Mulder doesn't know yet. But if she holds on a second, he may have an answer. He takes the soda that Angie brought him and walks down the lane. So Scully and Angie follow behind him. And Mulder pours some of the soda onto the wood of the lane beneath the mechanical lifter. And we see that the words, she is me, are scratched into the wax. (gasps) And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Because he's pouring soda on. I know. He's like, I know. And he's like, come on, buddy. I own this place. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. In fact, I, I know it's not going to happen, but it would be really cool if this somehow tied into the he is one, she is one from Red Museum, because mm-hmm. I still remember that. And also, I think we had another episode where a similar phrase was used, and I yes. think we said the same thing, but I can't, I did a search on our files, and I couldn't find anything, so maybe I just need to look I swear harder. there was someone. But I'm pretty sure there was another episode. Yeah, I think you're right. I did a search for Red Museum in all our files, and I couldn't find it. But maybe it was something I said and didn't actually write it down. And I just said it like extemporaneously. And so it's not in the record. So I don't know. Yeah. But I'm, I could have swore there was another episode where something similar was written. And I was like, oh, man, it's like the Red Museum thing. So, yeah, I think there was I'm, I'm sure there was something where it was she is me. It might have been Millennium, but we'll have to find it because I know there was something else where that was coming up. I'm pretty sure unless I'm just yeah. remembering this. and Or if someone else that- remembers, they could like hit you up on twitter or instagram or something yeah please if you remember let us know because we we are old people i'm turning 41 next week so my brain is already apparently my memory is just not what it used to be and i am 53 well not yet i'm gonna be 53 years young in july so there Mm -hmm. because as we learned in our in search of episode i am immortal because i am (laughs) immature so there we go At the local police precinct, Detective Hudak is giving a briefing about the three murders. The victims were all women, approximately the same age, height, and weight, and all within six blocks of each other. The FBI profile suggests a white male perpetrator. Mulder is whispering to Scully, and so Hudak calls him out. And Mulder is like, I believe following the FBI profile in this case will lead to more deaths. And then Hudak is like, well, yeah, well, who are you anyway? And then Mulder's like, FBI, boom. And he introduces Scully as well. And he says they're there to follow up the lead that seems to have been dropped. The proprietor of the bowling alley claims that he saw the victim, Hudak finishes. 
not the victim. Her apparition, Mulder corrects him. <laughs> what the Irish call a fetch, commonly known as a wraith. Listen, I love when Mulder corrects people. Like, I don't know. It's my favorite thing in the show when they're just like, oh, we saw the victim. And he's like, not the victim. Her, I don't, anytime he does that and he's just weird about it and everyone's like, oh, my God, I just love it. So, and anyway, Scully, of course, that. is rolling them uh-huh. Oh, yeah. 100%. She does not agree. Yes. She's trying to make it clear to everyone in the room that she's with this guy, but she's not with this guy. If you know <laughs> what she means. Yeah. Hudak is like, sure. Okay. And then Mulder asked if there were any written messages in any of the other cases or if the word she is me have meaning to him. And Hudak says those were Penny Timmons last words, according to the 911 call they received. And Mulder is surprised to learn that. And it's like, who made the call? And Hudak says a nut because Penny's larynx was severed. She couldn't cry for help or speak her any last words. So Mulder is incredulous that no one followed up on this lead. And Hudak says, I'll give you the number and you can check it out yourself. So. Yeah. Real good at his job there. So then we're at the New Horizon Psychiatric Center. And Mulder and Scully arrive, but one of the center's organizers, Mr. Alpert, tells the patients that someone wants to meet them. So they're told to sit in a group, and we see that Harold is among the patients, and he kind of has to be ushered along. Alpert tells them he's brought visitors who are investigating a crime, and they just want to ask them some questions. Yeah, they're all, ooh. I know, they're like, ooh. (laughs) Which, to be fair, I could be in any room if someone brought an FBI who's, like, investigating a crime. I'd be like, ooh, what crime? Also, a cab. But, you know, what crime? Because I am (laughs) curious. Mulder asks if anyone used the payphone in the hall on Friday night because someone used it to call and report a murder. But the room is silent. And we see that Harold is rocking in his seat. Albert, like, quietly tells Mulder, that was Sloppy Joe night. Fuck yeah, Sloppy Joe night, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had a Sloppy Joe in a long time. <laughs> that actually sounds really good right now. I'm pretty hungry. So Mulder says loudly to the group, that was Sloppy Joe night. So, you know, if you can't remember what day Friday was, that was the night you had Sloppy Joes. And there are murmurs. And then one patient, Chuck, confesses. But Alpert tells him to tell the truth. And he recants. So Alpert asks if anyone used the payphone to call the police, and none of them answer. Mulder holds up a photo of the victim and asks if anyone recognizes her. Chuck says, that's the lady that got murdered. And then other people raise their hand, and they say they know her. And Harold is not looking at them, and he looks like he's on the verge of tears. He looks pretty upset. So Mm -hmm. Mulder notices him. Scully, meanwhile, holds up a TV guide that shows Jay Leno and asks if anyone recognizes him. And they all raise their hands to identify him as the murderer. And one person adds, and a very funny man. (laughs) Uh, Except Harold. Harold is not involved in this. He is not looking, paying attention, raising his hand. So Scully, fed up with this, leaves. And Mulder asks Albert about Harold, who tells him that he has a tendency to get a little worked up. So Mulder's like, well, can I talk to him? And Harold is played by Stephen M. Porter. He's a character actor who's been in episodes of a lot of shows, including Wings, which is, you know, a favorite show of mine from a very long time ago that I haven't actually seen in a very long time. He is also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Boston Legal, Bones, and Shameless. He also appeared in the movie Best in Show. He also went to college with Frank Spotnitz. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that played a part in him getting this role or not, but it is something that is true, at least according to the internet. Interesting. So Scully is in the hall because, as Tori mentioned, she is done with this. And she's looking over crime scene photos when Harold, Mulder, and a nurse walk by. Harold and the nurse keep going, and Scully tells Mulder that from the photos, there's a line on the hand, and it appears the third victim is missing a ring. But it's not missing. It was just moved to her other hand. And then, apparently, she went and looked, and that was done on all the victims. So all of them, a ring was taken off one finger and then put on a finger on a different hand. Scully says there's a disorder called ego dystonia, which is a form of obsessive-compulsive disorder where a person has persistent and inescapable impulses to change and reorganize things. But it's not something that normally escalates to murder. Mulder says unless there was a more pronounced mental illness... And Scully asks if he thinks the killer is a patient here. And Mulder isn't sure, but he knows the person who made the phone call is, and he thinks that person is Harold Spoiler. Scully asks if he admitted it, and Mulder says no, but he's about to. And they go in and talk to Harold. So, Mm -hmm. 
Scully and Mulder interview Harold in his room, and he's rocking back and forth on the bed and insists that he doesn't know anything and he didn't do anything. And Mulder asks if he said, she is me, and he says no. And then Mulder asks if he's ever seen a ghost, and he stops rocking for a second, and then he's like, no, no, no! And then the nurse comes in, Nurse Innes, and has to calm him down. And then Harold starts chanting numbers, 17, 30, 37, 45, 53. So I know we're going to find out those are bowling scores, but they sound like lotto numbers to me. Yeah, did you... The answer is probably no, because it's usually no. But did you ever watch Lost? No. Okay, because there's a thing about lotto numbers and that, and they get repeated a lot, and they end up being oh. important. Um, yeah, it's just these yeah. numbers sound like lotto numbers, right? They because do. I think, yeah. I think actually, I think what was the one in California? There was one for a long time that like the lotto number. It was named after how many numbers there were, and I think it might have been like 50, like you had fifty three numbers were like like so one through fifty three or something. I can't remember, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. These kind of sound like a lot of numbers to me. Yeah, they do. It just also reminded me of Lost because they repeat the lot of numbers all mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> oh, talk about a show with a really great start and no payoff. Well, I guess your opinion may vary on that, but hmm. my opinion is nil because I didn't watch it. <laughs> I know there's a polar bear. Yeah, it asks a lot of questions. It does not answer enough of them to be satisfying to me personally. And then the answers we did get at the very, very end work. I mean, it was fine. It was pretty predictable. So it's okay. Later in an office, Scully is reviewing Harold's file. She tells Mulder that Harold has a severe development disorder called atypical autism and has spent his life in and out of facilities like this one. Among his other disorders is severe ego dysphoric disorder. She believes his outburst earlier indicates a tendency to violence when put in a challenging situation. Mulder points out that Harold didn't react that way until he asked about ghosts. Scully says there was pressure building in him from the moment the interview began. Mulder thinks Harold made the phone call, but he isn't convinced that he's the killer. Scully tells him that Harold is at the facility voluntarily so he can come and go as he pleases. To kill those women, hold down a job, or both. He works at Angie's Midnight Bowl. And then Scully's nose bleeds on the documents. She insists she's fine and goes to find a bathroom. It's the universe punishing her for again assuming someone with mental illness is a killer. Yeah, she's not really on it in this episode. She's no, she quick, isn't. And she's I, quick to judge. And then, yeah. Yeah, I just, again, I don't think Shibon writes her very well. In the bathroom, she holds a paper towel to her nose and then dabs some water under her nose to kind of wipe off the blood. She looks up from the sink and she sees words written in blood on the mirror that say, she is me. So she walks around the corner of the bathroom because she's looking to see if anyone else is in there. And she sees an apparition of a young woman in a college sweatshirt with her throat cut and bleeding. She just kind of stares at it and Mulder knocks. So she briefly turns away towards the door. And when she turns back, the apparition is gone and the mirror is clean. Mulder comes in and tells her they found another victim a college student with her throat cut just half a block away. <gasps> mm-hmm. Commercial, because <laughs> someone died. They did. Yeah. So we see Scully examining the body on the gurney, And it's the same woman she saw in the restroom. Mulder tells the victim's name is Lauren Heller, age 21, and was on her way home from a bar she worked at part-time after school. The ring she wore was switched from her right to her left hand, and she was dead less than an hour when she was found. Scully says that rules out Harold as the killer, but Mulder says it doesn't, because Harold isn't at the home. The nurse had locked him in his room after their interview, but he apparently got out and no one knows where he is. Mm. So they're apparently searching for him, but Mulder says he wants them to be the one who find him, if only to find out what she is me means. Although he may be like, hey, if the cops find him, they're probably going to shoot him because what cops do. Anyway, (laughs) Scully starts to say something but hesitates and then says that she wants to get checked out. She points towards her nose and that she'll let him handle the search. And he offers the driver, but she's like, no, I'll be fine. It's just a precaution. So she almost told him, but she didn't. 
I know. And I'm like, come on, Scully, tell him what you saw. Like, I kind of get why she doesn't. But I also hate that she doesn't. I don't know. It's one of those things about the show that, like, can be really frustrating. Because she does see stuff and experience stuff. And then she just tries to suppress it really hard. She doesn't want to believe that she saw it. And she gets disturbed by it and scared and doesn't just tell Mulder what's going on. Also, she is holding back evidence and impeding the investigation of homicide by not saying well, anything. I don't know if admitting you saw a ghost in a bathroom is impeding an investigation. <laughs> On the X-Files, it is. That's true. That's true. It's impeding Mulder's investigation. It's not impeding, like, the actual... Which is the investigation. No one else is going to solve this shit. It's going to be Mulder. Right? That's true. That's true. He can score a strike. He can shoot a swish. And he's always right. But he can also run. <laughs> good at running. He can run. He's very yeah. good at running. Yeah. So we see Harold, he is in a dark place, and he's gluing old bowling score sheets to the wall and repeating numbers like a chant. And then suddenly, the words, she is me, appear on the pages on the wall in blood. Ooh. And he turns around, and the apparitions of all four victims are standing there. And he's like, I just want to be left alone. And I have to say... That kind of creeped me out because we also just recorded a Millennium episode that involved women being killed by getting their throat slit and like four of them appear to a person in the scene. And this is kind of the same thing. And it kind of creeped me out. It's true. Yeah. That weird timing thing. Like it's just coincidence, but it's just weird. Mm -hmm. Same day. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. So at the hospital, we see Scully's blood being taken. And then afterwards, she just got it from her nose. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's not how they draw blood. Not a phlebotomist, but I've never seen them do that, so I'm pretty sure. She's got a bloody nose. Just put a tube (laughs) up her nose. So she stands, she puts her jacket back on, and then she gives herself one of those long looks in the mirror that on television signify that you are having deep thoughts about something. (laughs) Possibly mortality. I don't know. Yep. Then we see she's in a session with Karen Kosef, who is her therapist, who tells her that they've spoken about her being afraid to express her fear to others, including Agent Mulder. Scully tells her this is different. Several months ago, she was diagnosed with a cancerous, inoperable nasal tumor. And Kosa's like, oh, sorry to hear that. Scully says her health has been good, and she's keeping it monitored. Kosif asks if she's still working, and she says, yes, it's important. And Kosif asks why. Scully seems to be kind of tripped up by the question. She talks about how Mulder has been concerned and supportive and a source of strength for her. She never realized how much she relied on him. She tells Kosa she saw something last night and she isn't sure what to trust. If she only saw it due to stress or because it was suggested to her or if it was a suggestion of her own fears. Your fear of failing Mulder, Kosa asks? Scully laughs and says, maybe. Kosif asks what she saw, and Scully tells her about the apparition and how it appeared like she was trying to tell her something. Kosif asks if she knows what, and Scully says no. And Kosif is like, are you sure? (gasps) Really therapizing her. She's trying to get to, like, the deep sources of her fears and feelings, but Scully probably saw an actual apparition, so it's not actually going to tell you what she's thinking. Yeah, I didn't get word that she had to ask Scully if she was still working because she's an FBI therapist. Like she's, I would think she would like have Scully's records and know that she was working. But yeah, well, maybe she just asked to be conversational, so she could bring oh, up a wire still working. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, sneaky, sneaky therapist shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Mulder's back at the bowling alley, and he tells Angie that he's there looking for Harold. And Angie's like, "Why?" And Mulder's like, suspicion of murder. And Angie's like, whoa. And he's like, you think Harold killed those women? And Mulder's like, well, obviously you don't think so. And Angie says, Harold has worked for him for 10 years and he wouldn't kill anyone. Sure, he's a little, you know, but he's a sweet kid. And Mulder asks if he knows where he is. And Angie says, he was here this morning when he arrived and he was arranging all the shoes. And 
Mulder's like, he has a key, and he's like, he doesn't, but he has some way of getting in through the abandoned building next door or something. So, which I think is cool, so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny that like this guy owns this bowling alley, and this employee of his is somehow getting in after hours, and he's not concerned about that. Like, I don't think you should be concerned about Harold getting in. All he's doing is arranging the shoes and cleaning stuff up. Like, that's fine. But he should be worried that there is a way to get in when the doors are locked, just in case. Well, I hope he's figure paying Harold for that time. Yes, that too. I really hope Harold is putting that on a time card of some sort. Yeah. Anyway, while they're talking, we see that Harold is hiding behind one of the lanes. So back in the pin area, right? Because he's watching them talk. And then Mulder asks Angie if he ever got lane six working. And Angie's like, nope. And then as they're talking, two pins drop in the lane. And so Mulder goes down the lane and he sees Harold like back there and so he goes after him and he's like i just want to talk to you and so Mulder goes through under there and there's a space back there and then there's a ladder and they go up and apparently into that other abandoned building right that he's in and there's like you know the thematic like fans that bring in air from the outside and the light shining through it so it's all and harold is just huddled against the wall repeating she is me she is me she is me rocking back and forth that's commercial Mm -hmm. so and in case anyone else is wondering the same thing, Rain Man was released in December of 1988 because I was getting some Rain Man vibes from this episode mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. Also, the Big Lebowski, because the opening scene of the pins being reset made me think of that for some reason. I'm not sure. Well, because there's a bowling alley in that movie. Um, that was March of 1998. And as mentioned at the top episode, Sixth Sense was released in August of 1999. There's another movie folks might be also thinking about, or at least probably will be maybe a little bit later. And we'll save that for later because mm. it'll come up. So. Yeah. Nice. So then we see Harold is with his lawyer in an interrogation room across the table from Hudak. Mulder is standing behind him. The lawyer says her client is suffering from a mental disorder that impairs his judgment and he will not answer any questions about his guilt or innocence. She also warns that if Harold becomes upset, the interview ends. Hudak comes in all aggressive and he demands to know why Harold killed the women because he's not good at his job. Yeah, I'd also say that Harold is already upset because he's rocking and doing his number thing. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mulder steps in. He says Harold knew the women who were murdered, didn't he? And he's scared because he's worried they've come back to visit him. Mulder lists the victims' names and Harold rattles off a list of numbers after each one. After one, he asks her shoe size, and Harold says six and a half. So Harold knows all the stuff. They're bowling numbers, their shoe sizes. He's got it all memorized. Hudak sees this as proof that he stalked and killed them, but the lawyer argues that it's not a confession. Mulder tells Harold he doesn't think he murdered the women, but he needs his help for Mulder to prove it. <sighs> and Harold's lawyer is played by Lorena Gale. Yay! And I hate to say it because, spoiler, but he did. So. <laughs> oh, she's so good. Anyway. <laughs> and if you don't know what that's referring to, you should go back and listen to our season one episodes because she plays a deadpan medical examiner that we were obsessed with. <laughs> and still obsessed. are, apparently. Yeah. So, Well, we couldn't figure been... out who she was because of the way that she was credited or not credited in right. the Right, then we eventually did, and she's down. been in a couple other episodes as other characters. Yeah, and then she was also Millennium. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. so Mulder brings Harold to the bowling alley with Hudak and his lawyer. Mulder tells Angie he wants to search the building for any ways Harold may have in or out of there. Harold apologizes to him about the shoes being out of order, and Angie tells him, don't worry about it. Angie's sweet. He's a sweet guy. Harold leads him to a room in what is presumably the abandoned building next door. Takes him a while to get there. And it has a ton of bowling scorecards, like, glued to the wall. So this is the room we saw him in earlier when he was gluing them to the wall. (laughs) These also include cards with the victims' names. And the numbers are, as you already know, they're bowling scores. Hudak, of course, thinks that this obviously means he's guilty, but the lawyer points out that there are hundreds of scorecards and they don't actually focus on the victims. It's not like there's like a little shrine to each victim. They're just scattered amongst the millions of like cards that he has glued to the wall. Mulder tells Hudak to pick any name up there. So Hudak looks at the cards and he says, Fred Graham. Harold rattles off Fred's scores on the card because he has all the scores in his head. The lawyer asks how that proves his innocence. Harold looks over and sees a pale figure of Angie, and he says, no! 
Mulder looks over to where he's looking at and he doesn't see anything. Ghost Angie grabs his wrist and then Harold runs off. So they all follow. Two things. The bowling score cards only have first names on them. So I'm not sure how he got Fred Graham because they don't have last names. And then also one of Fred Graham's scores goes from 131 to 166, which is impossible in bowling because you can't get more than 30 in a frame. So Fred Graham, if that is his real name, is a cheater. So, <laughs> Or they just messed up when they were writing numbers on the bowling scores. Probably, but yeah. Yeah. So back in the bowling alley, Angie's on the ground being worked on by a police officer or an EMT or something. It's some guy. He tells Mulder that he killed over and he's done what he can. And Harold is wailing in grief, like just next to Angie and just crying, crying, crying. Mm-hmm. And the guy thinks it was a heart attack. And Mulder puts his hand on Harold's shoulder. Because Mulder's sympathetic. He is. And it's sad. I mean, clearly Harold and Angie were friends, work friends. But, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Angie was obviously, you know, they got along. He wasn't an asshole. So, yeah. As far as we've seen. And we, yeah. So then we see Scully in her apartment. And I have a note on this later. And she's in a bathrobe. And she gets up and she goes to the door. And it's Mulder. And he asks if it's too late. And she's like, no. And he says he needs her help on something. He asks how it went with the doctor. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And they sit and he tells her about how Angie Pintero had a heart attack and died. But Harold had a premonition of his death. He saw what Mulder believes may have been Angie's disembodied soul right before his death. And Mulder saw him see it. But Mulder couldn't see it himself because he lacks the connection to the victims that would allow it. And Scully asks, what is Harold's connection? And Mulder believes it has something to do with his disability, that he forms attachments to these people from working at the bowling alley, and he sees them regularly, and somehow a bond formed that went beyond the temporal. Scully points out that Harold wasn't the only one who claimed to see these apparitions, but Mulder says the others who did all have something in common. All the people who saw the apparitions were dying. One of emphysema, one of cancer, and Angie, who died of heart problems. And I was like, Oh, Scully, because Scully saw an apparition. Yeah, that does not bode well for her. No, although she's supposed to be immortal, at least according to Clyde Bruckman. Well, we'll find out, huh? As the season yeah. goes on, we'll find out. Yeah. Scully pauses, obviously, because she made the same connection that I just did, and asks if Harold is dying too. And Mulder says that's what he needs her medical opinion on. And she asks, well, what if he's not? And Mulder says he'd be very surprised. What is a death omen but a vision of our own mortality? And he tells her that Harold is at the group home, and Scully says you shall meet him there. It is commercial. So I don't know if this is supposed to be her apartment. I mean, we know this stuff is happening in Washington, D.C., so it should be her apartment. But it looks like a hotel room, and it's got a weird layout. It does kind of match what we saw in Small Potatoes as far as the furnishing goes. But when she opens the door... There's a bed visible from the front door. Yeah. And I was confused. I know. I wasn't sure either. I put apartment, but like I wasn't clear because sometimes it's hard to tell where they're supposed to be. And like their apartments don't really change. Like we kind of know what they look like. And this just looks really similar, but it's all, it does. But like, why would they be in a hotel? They're in DC. I don't know. Well, it's and there's like, like a, there's like the equivalent of like a full kitchen off to the side. Right. And so is it like, like a one room it's like her bed because like when she opens the door like the couch and chair that she was sitting on that kind of stuff is on the left hand side from the viewer's point of view but then on the right hand side there's something that it really looks like a bed and i'm like what is that's why i was thinking it was a hotel room but then when they're in the room talking i'm like no this is the same room that she they were in in small potatoes when her and not Mulder were like having some wine and stuff so i was really confused but that did remind me Right after we recorded Small Potatoes, we were talking about Mulder's apartment and, like, Uh the kitchen and the bathroom and that kind of stuff and the joke about, like, where is he going to sleep? And I realized I know what Mulder's apartment layout is because I lived in an apartment exactly like that in my 20s. I lived lived above a bar, and it used to be a hotel, and they converted the hotel rooms into apartments. And so an apartment was two hotel rooms. And so I had, like, I, I would walk in, and I had a big living room that was just a like a big rectangle and then right off to the side which is what you mentioned there's a kitchen and the kitchen was actually the hallway into the 
bedroom, which was the other room. And then on the back of that, like in reverse, like almost making like like the like the Taoist symbol or the Pisces symbol, then where the kitchen was in the front as a hallway, the bathroom was in the back, but it wasn't a hallway. Okay, They didn't connect the living room. okay, And so I it can was like picture they just converted that. two hotel rooms, and I bet that's what his his apartment is laid out as. Probably, that makes sense. Because you did say off to the side there's a kitchen, There and is, so yes, that would when make you sense. come in the door, you can, The kitchen is probably and we've a seen hallway multiple in it, yeah, it's into pretty small. the bedroom, and then the, the bathroom back there. So, Yeah. yeah. And that kind of building looks like it may have been like an old hotel, too. It's got that kind Sure, of look to it where it's yeah, kind it of does looked have like. that look, so I can see Yeah. that. Interesting. Yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> At least one mystery solved. Not why Yay. Scully has a bed in her living room, possibly, but I don't know. She's not that sick. Got Yeah, to put a I bed know, in the living right? room. <laughs> but yeah, so maybe she's got like a weird apartment layout, too, where it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Or that's not a bed. I don't know. It looked like a bed. You couldn't see the whole thing, but to me, it looked like it was a bed. And so I it was might super not confused. have been. It might have just been like a lounge chair or some kind Yeah, of like or something. thing. Who knows? Yeah. The art All on right. her walls <laughs> looks like hotel art, though. It doesn't look like stuff you'd put in your house. But anyway... So then we're at the New Horizons Psychiatric Center, and it's 11.42 p.m. And Chuck, the patient, is in bed when he hears voices in the hall. So he goes to the door, and he cracks it open. He sees Harold with Alpert and some cops. The cops leave, and Alpert starts to walk Harold down the hall. Harold stops when he sees Chuck, and Alpert tells Chuck to go to bed. In an exam room, Alpert holds out a cup of pills and tells Harold he needs to take his medicine. Harold recites numbers, but he takes the cup and holds it. Nurse Enos comes in and Alpert tells her that Harold's a little scared and he's been trying to get him to take his medicine. She offers to sit with him for a bit. But then once Alpert leaves, she says, take your poison, Harold. What do you have to live for now? She asks what he told the police and if he told them about his girlfriends and how he was in love. And she asks what he thought those girls thought of him because no one could love him. He's an ugly toad. And she even uses the R word. So she's like, yeah, she's super fucking mean. She's like cruel. She's really evil. Alpert is in the hall and Mulder comes in. He's talking about having Scully examine Harold when there's a scream. So people come out of their rooms. You know, obviously there was noise. They're like, what? And in the exam room, the nurse is on the floor and bleeding. Scully arrives. Innes claims Harold went berserk when she tried to get him to take his meds. Alpert gets the other patients to go back to bed, and then he asks what he can do. Mulder says he should call the police and have them search for Harold at the bowling alley. Once he leaves, Scully says maybe Mulder was wrong. Mulder points out that the nurse's wound is superficial. He didn't mean to maim or kill her. Scully's like, well, why did he attack her then? And Mulder says, well, maybe he's sicker than we thought he was. Mulder suggests that Scully should talk to Harold's roommate, Chuck, and Mulder will see about finding Harold. Meanwhile, we see Innes, and she slides the scalpel into her pocket. So Scully talks to Chuck and is asking, you know, him and Harold share a room and if he knows where Harold is. And Chuck is like, he's dying, isn't he? Harold is dying. And Scully's surprised by that. And she asks why he says that. And Chuck says that the nurse is trying to poison him. Harold says she told him that she was putting poison in his meds. Chuck says that Harold is his friend and he wouldn't hurt anybody and that he really loved them. And Scully's like, who? And so Chuck goes to the dresser and he pulls out a book. And in the book, there are some photos that Harold gave him to hide him because he was scared that they would be found. And they're the pictures of the victims, right? Like one's like a school photo and then like, like just photos that they have, right? Kind of things. Right. Maybe he asked And and they're like, here, yeah, he yeah. asked and they gave him a photo. Yeah. And so Scully asks if anyone else knows about the photos. And Chuck says that Nurse Innes does. <gasps> So Scully goes in the bathroom and finds Ennis at the sink and she asks how she's feeling and she's like, oh, you know, shaking. And so Scully's like, oh, I guess your family will be, you know, a comfort for you if you're going to go home, that kind of stuff. And Ennis is like, well, no, my husband left me and ran off with the kid or whatever. And then she drops pills on the... 
the way it's played, it's like she's trying to like drop the pills without anybody knowing, but like they're pills and they're in a bathroom. Like you're gonna hear them fall on the floor. It's, I it's know it's weird. it's weird. It is really <laughs> weird because at first I thought she was trying to hold them and she lost her grip, but it does kind of look like she is trying like a to kid at the table me. trying to like feed the dog scraps yeah, or something and it's like, it's like but they're gonna make little noises and Scully's right there. It's just weird. why not just yeah. hold on to them for longer? I don't know. Maybe she's afraid they're gonna melt into her skin and whatever poison. Yeah. Or like... <laughs> maybe because we're gonna find out some other stuff too. Maybe she's not thinking properly. Yeah. So yeah. So Scully's like, I'm gonna have to ask you to step out into the hallway, please. And then Ennis attacks her with the scalpel, and they kind of fight, ooh, ooh, like girl fighting. And it's a very strange fight scene, but it's also kind of interesting because it's like what real people would fight like. It's not like yeah, TV they're fighting. not like trained <laughs> fighters. They're just women no. who are like attacking. It's yeah. very, it's very clunky looking. You're like, that looks like crap. You're like, well, that's how people would fight though. Who aren't yeah. fighters like? Yeah, it's not choreographed. I mean, it probably undoubtedly is choreographed, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it so. looks like it's just two people grappling in a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. So she tries to slash Scully, but Scully fights back, and she drops the scalpel on the floor, and they struggle, and Scully gets thrown to the floor. And then Ennis bends down to grab the scalpel, but Scully pulls her gun and is like, drop it. Drop the scalpel. But she runs at Scully. And then there's a gunshot. And Mulder runs, and Scully's in the bathroom standing over Ennis. She shot her in the shoulder, so she didn't shoot to kill. And then Alpert bursts in, and Scully tells him to get EMTs. And Mulder notices Scully is cut, and she says that Ennis attacked her. And then Mulder bends down to grab the scalpel. It's got some blood on it, but Scully is like, you might want to bag that. I'm pretty sure it's a murder weapon. <gasps> EMTs roll Ennis out of the hospital. Scully tells Mulder she'd been taking Harold's meds, the side effects of which can be unpredictable and violent behavior. Harold's roommate said Harold thought Ennis had been poisoning him. Mulder asks Scully if she killed those women, and Scully says maybe she was trying to destroy Harold's happiness and something she thought she'd never have. She is me. Mulder tells her they found Harold face down and tried to revive him, but were unable to. He died of some kind of respiratory failure. Mulder thinks it could be the result of Ennis taking away his meds and possibly why he was having visions. Scully says he wasn't dying. He was killed by what Ennis took away from him. Mulder asks if that's her medical opinion. Scully finally tells Mulder about the apparition she saw of the fourth victim in the bathroom before he told her about her death. Mulder's like, why didn't you tell me? And she says that she didn't want to believe it. He gets upset and tells her that she can believe what she wants to believe, but she can't hide the truth from him because if she does... She's working against him and herself. And he's kind of he's kind of harsh about that, which I mean, he's not wrong to be like, I would be frustrated, too, if I had a partner who's giving me all the facts. And obviously they have a friendship and care about each other. But like, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. But then he does soften and he says, I know what you're afraid of. I'm afraid of the same thing. Scully, a little teary, says the doctor said she was fine. Mulder says he hopes that's the truth. Scully goes out to her car and she sits behind the wheel and she cries. I am also a car crier. I just feel like it's a good place. You're like by yourself, like you hold it until you're alone and then, you know, let it out. She sees an ambulance driving away and then she catches sight of an image of Harold in her rearview mirror. She looks back and no one is there. She looked in her rear view, and now she can't see you. <gasps> <laughs> and that's the end. It's over. Yep, that's the end of the episode. That was Elegy. Yep. yep. So Chuck Forsh is played by Sidney Lassick, who has a pretty lengthy list of credits, but is probably best known for his portrayal of Charles Cheswick in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975. And it is likely not a coincidence that his name is Chuck in this episode, mm -hmm. especially with the implied nurse in his nurse ratchet parallels in this scene with Harold, because there is a scene in one floor of the cuckoo's nest where nurse ratchet has a scene with Billy, which is very similar to this. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which Lassick is the third cuckoo's nest patient to appear in the X-Files following Brad Dorif, who played Billy in one floor of the cuckoo's nest and played Luther Lee Boggs in season one, episode 13, beyond the sea. And was also in an episode of Millennium that was pretty good. And he did a great job in that episode. He was great. Really yeah, it. I loved him in yeah. that. And then Vincent Schiavalli played Lenny in season two, episode 20, Humbug. 
So we've got three cuckoo nest patients in the X-Files. Mm -hmm. And then Sidney Lassick died in 2003 at the age of 80. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, he's got a pretty long... He's also in a movie that I really like that almost no one has ever watched called Hot Stuff. It's got Jerry Reed and Dom DeLuise in it too. They play cops oh. that decide to open up a pawn shop to get criminals to bring in stuff. Oh. And they arrest them. It's, 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 a, it's a comedy, but it's also like a cop movie. It's kind of funny. It's got Suzanne Plachette in it. It's got like all like the 70s and early 80s people you could ever think of in a movie. It's one of those kind uh -huh. of movies like the Cannonball Run thing where there's just like guest stars all over the place. It's pretty good. Anyway. Nice. And actually, Dom DeLuise's kids are in it, too, like his real kids, Peter DeLuise, who would then be in 21 Jump Street. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting premise. I would definitely watch that. It's pretty good. I can give you a copy if you want. So, <laughs> um, And then for clarification, like I talked a lot about movies in this one. I'm not trying to imply the episode is ripping off movies, especially since two of them came out after this episode was created. I just think it's kind of interesting how like imagery gets stuck in your brain. And then like over time, things blend together. And then you can like make connections between things that are purely coincidental, but you can mistakenly take them as causality, even though they're not, because like, you know, mm -hmm. you might watch something from a few years ago and compare it to something newer and be like, oh, that's kind of like this, but actually it may be the other way around or it may just be coincidence. Just, you yeah. Know, kind of thing happens. But I just think it's kind of interesting. Like there was so many things that made me think about other things in this episode. And I don't think any of them were actually intended, except for maybe like the cuckoo's nest thing. Just because yeah, I think that was probably. Thing. Yeah. But even that wasn't like they ripped off the story or nothing. It was just like, oh, ha ha. Kind of thing. Yeah, kind of more so. of like a little reference that you might catch yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Homage. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. And it's funny because it happens all the time in like TV or like books. Books especially are funny because if they're traditionally published, like those things were written probably two years before they're published. But a lot of times stuff will be published around the same time that has like a similar premise. And people be like, oh, this person ripped off this book that was, you know, came out six months ago. And it's like, no, they definitely had that written before that book came out and probably had no idea. It's just a cultural zeitgeist thing where people have similar yeah, well, like, ideas. The two big and... examples are like the volcano movies, right? Those two yes, volcano movies. Yes, Dante's Peak and Volcano. Dante's Peak is the one I saw them do the lava in a post-production studio. I got to hang oh, out and watch them Oh, when lava. you were going to your fancy school. <laughs> Yeah, one of our Hollywood field trips. We got to sit in the post-production studio and watch them put lava. We also got to watch them uh, make a burger from, I think it was Burger King, look really pretty. Um, oh. After Was this a separate trip from when you guys got to meet David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson? There were a couple, and I can't remember which was which. So I don't remember okay. if it was the same one or if it was um, the year before. But yeah, I went to <laughs> people i have stories people are like that didn't happen i'm like no it did my life is weird and not that exciting but i can make it sound more exciting because wow um yeah so was, i think it was dante speaking volcano i think is the other one but i'm not sure no volcano is the one with joe no that's joe versus the volcano never mind all right yeah no one of those movies has um pierce brosnan in it i think mm -hmm. Yeah, and then there's the meteor movies, right? Deep Impact and shit. What's the Bruce Willis one? I can't think of what. The oh name is God. Name. Um, I love how we do this, and you can just tell people are probably like <laughs> this episode. They're gonna be like, Oh my God, it's signs, you guys. Oh my God, it's, how do you not know this? Do you not live on this planet. What is the freaking Bruce Willis one? That stupid song from that movie was on the radio all the freaking time. Yeah, yeah um, Tyler was in it. So yeah. yeah. Oh. Armageddon. Armageddon, okay, God, Arm Armageddon, that's what it is. Yeah, so live research, oh, oh. Armageddon. <laughs> anyway, yeah, stuff like, I mean, it just happens all the time. It's just the way the world works, but it is funny that people get upset about it. And it's like, no, it, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's funny because I typed in Armageddon and you know how it like shows you talks about the movie. And like the first, second, and third pictures are Armageddon movie posters. And then the fourth one is the Deep Impact movie poster. So they know. <laughs> the internet knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that shit just happens. Yeah. So, well, as we have both forgotten that John Shebon wrote this episode until we were actually recording it and read it off and we're like, oh shit, he wrote this? Um, <laughs> what's your... Uh, <laughs> What's your rating for it? It's like that episode of Community where the dean is watching the college play and he's like, oh, Britta's in this. Like, <laughs> just that disappointment of like, oh, it's him. You know, so I did not hate this episode. I did not realize he wrote it. I don't love it. It's not like my favorite. I don't think, I think it's got some bad tropes again. Again, it's the whole like, 
autistic person with magic powers, although in this case it's because of their medication. So I guess it does sort of subvert that a little bit. I mean, there are there are parts of it I don't love, I, but it's entertaining. I did think it was an interesting premise, like the whole, it's not just that they're seeing ghosts, it's that they're seeing these like death omens and only people who are close to dying can see them, which I think is an interesting idea. I thought the acting was good. I didn't, I mean, the end was like, oh, okay, it's the evil nurse. Sure. I mean, it was fine. Um, no problems with it. It's just... Okay. I was glad it wasn't Albert, actually, because I kind of liked him. And then I was like, oh, fuck, is he slowly murdering this guy or something? But no, it's not him. Yeah, I think I'm going between a six and a seven. And honestly, I'm having a hard time because I don't, I don't know. It wasn't like amazing, but it wasn't. Was it equivalent to zero sum or worse than zero sum? Did I give zero zero sum a seven? seven? Yeah, you gave zero sum a seven. Man. All right. I'm going to give this a six. Okay. Because it was not as good as Zero Sum. It did not have, you know, oh, okay. shirtless Skinner, so. Oh, you had to bring that up. You had to bring that up. Now I'm distracted, <laughs> and I forgot what I was going to say. <sighs> oh, Alpert, you, you mentioned Alpert. He had, he had very, like, Mr. Rogers vibes. He was very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a good guy. Yeah. So I, in, and I want to rewatch Rarity. Um, I'm going to rate this higher than you did. I'm going to give this. Mm, this makes me rethink my small potatoes. Okay. I'm going to give this <laughs> a seven. Okay. I was trying to decide between seven and eight, which means that I think I'm going to have to bump small potatoes up to a seven as well. I gave it a six before and I had talked about how I wasn't sure. I felt weird because I gave Synchrony a six. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with seven. Okay. You were hovering between six and seven. I was hovering between seven and eight. So it's one of those weird ones where we flipped. Yeah. Um, not not dramatically. It's not like. No, and I don't it, hate know, it. a four and you give it a seven or something. So, yeah. but Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. I think as far as like the rest of the season goes, this was like kind of my low point. Like, it, you know, which is not a bad low point, I don't think. So this episode or just this yeah. period of time? No, oh, really? episode, yeah, I feel like this episode oh. was the lower of of what comes next. Although I have not finished Gasset the Mean, so maybe I shouldn't talk. But um, mm. yeah, yeah, we only got two more episodes this season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One is Demons, yes, Demons, and then Demons, and then which I like that I can't say Gasset the Mean. Gasset the Mean. Okay, yeah, two more episodes, Demons people. Superstar. Yeah. And believe it or not, we're still going to have stuff to put in an outtakes episode at the end of the season, even though more have been staying in the episodes. So, yeah. It's funny. Also, it's funny to me because, like, I was thinking, like, this week last year, I was, like, in the process of moving several states mm-hmm. away. And we had already started season one of the X-Files. Yeah. No, yeah. We were, we we're still we in have, season we have, four. We have come our season four and now we've come around and we're still, we're almost done, but it's just funny. Cause like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. Thank you for being patient. An intermittent podcast. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate your patience as it is taking us a while, but we are getting through it. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the day before your birthday, actually, the Springfield Files is what came out. Oh, yes. What was the episode that came out from X-Files? Oh, Paper Hearts had come out on the 20th of May. Okay. Yeah. And then um, after that, I guess it was El Mundo Gira. Gira, say it correctly. That came out on on August 19th because it was right after that in June when I had a nervous breakdown. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's funny. Season I think four, the sorry. Springfield Files to this day is the only one my mom's ever listened to. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I know, it's the only one she's ever heard. So it's funny. <laughs> that's okay. She's supportive in other ways. So. She is. She gets it. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think I think that's it. All righty. Well, I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick. And recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. I Want to Rewatch is where we talk about the X Files and X Files adjacent television films. 
If you like what we're doing, check out our show notes for ways to support the podcast. And of course, tell a friend. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time. And together, we'll try to figure out if If the the truth truth is still out there. Erin the other day asked me because she hadn't been listening recently. She's like, "Are you still singing the theme song?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And she's like, "You know, X Files." X- I was like, "Oh, you mean my X Files? X Files?" Like, no, I don't do that anymore. Although I did do some other singing recently. You did something else, <laughs> yeah. You did yeah. Some- I was thinking about that the other day. I got it stuck in my head, and I'm like, "Oh my god, Nick hasn't done that in a while." <laughs> no, maybe I'll do it today. My special request. <laughs> It's like my wife requested that I sing the X-Files theme song. (laughs) Yes.